Blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Amen. We pray together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's continue together in our song of praise.
Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, your never-failing providence sets in order all things, both in heaven and on earth. Put away from us all hurtful things, and give us those things that are profitable for us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated for the reading of Holy Scripture. A reading from 1 Peter, chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus, from afar he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. 
And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man in his right mind, fully clothed. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they begged Jesus to depart from their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit it, but said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has shown mercy to you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired Mark to record these words, and we believe these words had power not only in the day that Mark wrote them, but this day because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, speak this word over us this morning that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I don't want to live among the tombs. I don't want to live among the tombs like this man. And yet if I'm honest, I often find myself living among the tombs. This story is a hard one for our modern culture, but let's unpack it together. Verse 3, there's a man with an unclean spirit living among the tombs, which means if he's among the tombs, he's living in the place of the dead. He's not fully alive, it seems, at least not living a full human life. And he's also in the tombs, which means he's separated from people. It means he's alone. Verse 4 goes on to say that the man had been bound in chains and shackles, but he kept breaking them off. And then this terrible phrase, no one could subdue him. The word subdue literally means tame. It's a horrible thing to speak about a human being needing to be tamed. That's the language you use of a beast. The man is half alive, alone, acting like a beast that needs to be tamed. And finally, verse 5, day and night he's crying out and he's cutting himself. This man who's half dead and alone and beastly and depressed sure looks like a lot of people living under COVID-19. It really is a picture of a place that we all can get to, a desperate place, a place of disorientation, feeling overwhelmed, feeling the burden of our sins, getting dragged into bad patterns that we don't feel we can get ourselves out of, sitting there at night feeling like, well, we're living among the tombs. And though our tombs may not look as extreme as this man, they are tombs nonetheless. Like C.S. Lewis at the time of his conversion, examining his very respectable, good veneer, Oxford lifestyle, as he reflected on his life, said this, 
What I found here appalled me. A zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. We all know what it is to live among the tombs. And I don't want to live there and neither do you. And Jesus doesn't want you to live there either. And so he gives us his story. This, this crazy, amazing story about the garrison demoniac being freed. What Jesus is doing is he's showing us, first of all, a wrongly occupied life. That language occupied is important. This man is truly occupied. And he's wrongly occupied. And we see the disaster of that occupied, wrongly occupied life. But Jesus doesn't just show us a wrongly occupied life. He shows us how he reclaims that wrongly occupied life. How he repatriates and takes back to himself this wrongly occupied life. But he doesn't just show us this wrongly occupied life and his reclaiming of this life. But then he also shows us a rightly occupied life life. What it looks like when our lives are occupied with nothing less than God himself. See, first Jesus shows us this wrongly occupied life. It's a story really all about territory. Verse one, we begin hearing that they came to the other side of the sea and they came to the country of the Gerasenes. And Mark is again and again going to bring up the word country or region in this text, verse 10, again, the, this country. Verse 14, this country. Verse 17, this region. What's the big deal about all this language of country and region and area? He's bringing it up because this is fundamentally a story about whose territory is whose. Jesus sets foot on the shore and immediately there is a conflict about territory. Verse 2, there was a man who came up to him with an unclean spirit. And let's be clear, the territory dispute that Jesus enters into is not a territory dispute over land. It's a territory dispute over this man who has the rights to occupy this man's life. It's interesting that the man has a name for the demons, the demons speak and they say in verse 9, my name is Legion, for we are many. And that's meant to be a cue for us to think in terms of occupation and territory. Because those first century hearers hearing Legion could think of nothing other than the Roman legions. The fact that this man is called Legion is not just a numerical figure for about five or 6,000 but it's the number of a Roman legion that was occupying the land of Israel. They were an occupied people. They were living under the threat of a foreign power who had moved in with their armies. And just as Israel and its land was occupied by these foreigners, so now this man's life is occupied by a foreign legion that has moved in and taken over his life. And that's why we use the word possession. Again, in verse 15, 16, and 18, 
the text says he was a demoniac, literally a demon-possessed man, because that's the language of occupation. These demons have come in and possessed him, taken ownership over him, taken control over him, occupied this territory. This man, this man made in the image of God, is now occupied by a foreign army, legion. Now, I know we struggle with this as modern people. We struggle with the idea of demonic oppression, possession, and exorcism stories. You know, in our modern age, it seems that most of us have given up the gods of Olympus and also the demons of the hills of Palestine. We don't have a room for this story within our worldview. And yet, the Bible again and again is confronting us with the reality as Paul teaches in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. It's vital for us, as Leslie Newbegin says, not to be fools and write off this as some kind of mythology but instead to embrace the reality of the truth of Scripture, that there is a demonic force in this universe that is coming to unsettle us, to do us harm, and to do our neighbors harm. And just as a side note, especially in the kind of conflict our nation is facing now, here's what happens when you embrace a modern worldview that has no room for the demonic. There's no one left to hate except your neighbor. If there's no demonic presence in this world, then every action that you disagree with and you rail against has to be laid completely at the feet of your neighbor, and they're the only ones you can hate. Instead, Scripture calls us to oppose and loathe and, yes, even hate Satan and his demons and to see them underneath the works of wickedness in this world. We need to recognize that scripture calls us to believe in a world that has this demonic presence in it. And, and the reality is we know that. We may struggle within our worldview to actually say those words at a dinner party that I believe there's a demonic you know, presence in this world, but we all live it, we know it. We experience it every day. As William Peter Blatty, who wrote and produced the Exorcist films, writes, he says, as far, he's an atheist. He says, as far as God goes, I'm a non-believer. But when it comes to the devil, well, that's something else. The devil keeps advertising. The devil does lots of commercials. It's not hard, in fact, for us to believe there is a demonic presence in this world trying to undo us. But here's what's interesting in our own lives is it the root for us to get to this wrongly occupied life, this life among the tombs, it doesn't seem that demonic on the way. It's just small little things, right? We, we, we don't have a demonic influence coming at us that is, is putting up big signs saying, hey, this is the straight road to hell, follow me. Instead, it's subtle decisions one by one habits and attitudes of the heart that get a hold of us and begin dragging us down bit by bit until we come to a place where we wake up one day and say, how did I end up living among the tombs? 
When did I become so wrongly occupied? As C.S. Lewis says in the Screwtape Letters, which is our summer book study on podcasts, we encourage you to read it, because it, the, the principle behind Screwtape is the subtlety of the devil's work. Screwtape, this fictitious senior demon writing to a junior demon, says this. He says, it does not matter how small the sins are provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. We need to have our eyes open, Jesus is saying, to the fact that there is a thing called a wrongly occupied life. All of us have had it. All of us have found ourselves living among the tombs. But then Jesus shows us how he reclaims a life. Right? This story is a story of victory. Verse 6 of our text we read that when Jesus, when the man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. This man, do you see it? Who cannot be tamed by chains or shackles is instantly tamed at the mere presence of Jesus. Jesus just shows up and the man is face down surrendering. He knows he's done for. It's a little bit like when we arrive home after we've been out for a little while and our golden doodle Tiggy meets us at the front door and we just open the door and immediately he starts cowering and we all say, what did you do, Tiggy? I mean, just our presence brings out that sense of absolute defeat. He's done something disgusting in the house, and we're about to find it, and our mere presence brings him to the end of himself. Verse 8, Jesus says, come out of this man. Ultimately, what he's doing here is reclaiming God's territory, right? Genesis 1, 27, I, I said a moment ago, God said, making humanity, let us make humanity in our own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. Come out of this man. This man that is my creation. You have no rights and no business here. Come out. But just so we'll know that the exorcism which happens in a moment is not just momentary, but is meant to be lasting. You got to pay attention to the pigs in the story. See, this is a gift from Jesus. The, the way the exorcism happens is not just a demon popping out in other places and you sort of think, well, where did it go? Well, thank God he's out, but we don't know where he went. This time we got the pigs. And this pig story is meant to be for us a picture of the finality and the completeness and the permanence of this exorcism. So follow me on the pigs. Verse 12 and 13. It's weird, right? The pigs. It's a strange part of the story. Verse 12. 
And they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. See, that's the language of authority. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the water. And you guys say, what's that all about? Well, there's been many interpretations. Some have said that this is Jesus negotiating with the demons for the sake of not harming the man. It's sort of a let's negotiate this settlement so that there's no real violent harm. I mean, there is a legion in there. Others have said that perhaps this is Jesus tricking the demons, like they're negotiating and then the pigs come up and well, let's put them in the pigs and it's kind of foreshadowing Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 where in the future at the last day, the devil and his minions are going to be cast down into the lake of fire. And again, both these interpretations I think are legitimate, but above all, I think it's nearly impossible for me to read this text along with some great interpreters through the church's history and not see that the real point of the pigs here is that the demons are drowned in the water. See, this is a picture of the finality of these malignant spirits. We don't wonder where they went. We know where they went. They got drowned in the water. They're done for. And is it not so that this is Jesus? And I know I sound like the early church fathers when I say this, but is that not so that this is a picture of Jesus showing us that the place where the demons in your life and my life are going to be truly put to an end is as Jesus drowns them in the waters of baptism. That as we go into the fawn, as the water comes upon us, that all that is evil and wicked within us is actually put to death, is drowned. It's not a momentary thing. It's a permanent, lasting effect. Jesus comes in victory and puts that which is evil within us to death in the waters of baptism. See, when we come to baptism in our liturgy, it's all about the devil. And it's all about Jesus. It's this whole story. We renounce the devil, the deadly deceits of this world, and the sinful desires that turn us from God. We, we renounce those. And then there's a moment. And, and, and I'll come back to that moment in a moment. But then after that moment, then we turn to Christ as Savior. We receive him by faith. And we choose to obey him as our Lord and Savior. But in the middle, there's something that the ancient church used to do. And I'm so glad that in our new liturgies, it's been restored. And, and, and you've you got you to back it up a bit pastorally because it sounds a bit weird. But in the middle, between the renouncing Satan and then the turning to Jesus, there's a prayer of exorcism. There's actually a prayer of exorcism. And it goes like this. The prayer says, Almighty God, deliver you from the powers of darkness and evil and lead you into the light and obedience of the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a prayer of exorcism. No wonder it got cut out of the liturgy as the church in America got less and less, you know, believing in anything supernatural. The thought of putting an exorcism within a baptism service was a bit strange. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's even today, like as we restore it now, I remember when I first heard that this was happening, I'm thinking, I went to the bishops, I said, really? Now I have to go to families as they bring their little babies in and say, by the way, there'll be a moment 
when I'm going to pray an exorcism over your dear little child. And I said, just, you just recognize this is going to be a major leap for some families because we hear the word exorcism and we, you know, think of certain movies and films and the rest. And yet this is what baptism is. It is the exercising of that which is sinful and broken and malignant and evil in this world, drowning it in that moment. And so we reclaim that exorcism. We reclaim that moment of the devil being put to death. The early church understood this. When they were renouncing Satan and the rest and the devil, this wasn't some kind of mere metaphor. They had lived in that pagan world so clearly under the power of those false gods and goddesses. And now they were entrusting themselves instead to this invincible hero, as David Bentley Hart says, who's plundered hell and its captives, overthrown death, subdued the powers of the air, and been raised as the Lord of history. Jesus is reclaiming us permanently by drowning our demons and thereby disarming them. They have no rights here anymore. They have no rights in that territory any longer because you and I, through the waters of baptism, have been reclaimed as Christ's territory. And you may say, well, if that's the case then, why do we end up in the tombs? Why do we end up back with a wrongly occupied life? How do baptized believers end up wrongly occupied all over again? It's because we forget. See, the, the Satan, the, 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 the deceiver, is a liar. And he's constantly in his temptations trying to draw us to a place where we can be beaten down by our sin, which is real. I'm not saying we can't sin. Of course we can fall into sin and repent of it. But we can begin believing the lie of Satan that now that I fall into this pattern of sin, I'm now trapped there and that he's got control over me again. And he's lying through his wicked teeth. And we believe it because we forget the gospel. We fall into sin every day. But the devil does not own us and the devil has no ownership or rights to be within the place where Jesus has cleansed and reclaimed by the waters of baptism. As Galatians chapter 3, 27 says, whoever has been baptized into Christ has put on Christ. The devil has no place there. 1 Corinthians 6, using the language of being occupied by God. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. See, Jesus is showing us a wrongly occupied life, and he's showing us the way that he reclaims a life. But finally, he shows us a rightly occupied life, and it's not just a small correction. It's not a small cure. See, in verse 15, the man is found in his right mind and clothed. In other words, he's acting like a human being again. He's no longer among the tombs. He's being restored to community. You need clothes to be restored to community. He's back with community. 
He's being restored as a human being. But even more than that, he's being given new purpose. There's that moment where he goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to follow you now. And what does Jesus say? He says, no, you can't go with me. Instead, verse 19, he says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. See, the man has been not just restored to his humanity, but he's been given a purpose. He's been given a mission from God. He's now gone from being a man who was living among the tombs to a man who's out in the world speaking about Jesus. He's an evangelist. The gospel is that those of us who are broken, who get broken again and again and fall back into our worst behavior, we find ourselves among the tombs. God doesn't just do a small cure to restore us to community. No, he restores us all the way back into mission. Because, hear this, the man is still occupied. He's still an occupied human being. The difference is he's rightly occupied now. See, we misunderstand freedom when we think freedom is just doing whatever we want, however we want to do it. No, that's not freedom. That's a whole different kind of bondage. If I'm stuck just doing what I want to do, that's hell. Instead, true biblical freedom is being filled with God so that no longer are we stuck doing the wrong things, but instead invited to start living in his right way in this world. That's what the prophets were, were looking to. Ezekiel chapter 36. You know, Israel again falling back to the tombs again and again, saying there must be more. We need more. And Ezekiel, God through Ezekiel says in verse 27 of verse 30, chapter 36, I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus says, I will give you a comforter, a helper, the Holy Spirit. You will know him for he'll be in you. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in wind and fire on the church and fills the life of every disciple. And so he does today, occupied rightly. My favorite Example of this is Edmund from the Chronicles of Narnia. In, in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the most famous or well-known of the Chronicles of Narnia stories, Edmund, who's the traitor, who's been on side with the White Witch, the devil, throughout the entire book, at the end, Edmund is rescued from bondage. He's freed from the White Witch's grasp by Aslan, the Christ figure. But when Edmund is rescued from bondage and forgiven. It's not that Edmund then just sits back and sort of watches the world go on. No, Edmund is immediately going to become a war hero. The moment that he's redeemed from living among the tombs, he's sent out with the purpose that Aslan has given him. He becomes a war hero because there's a great battle to be won. As his brother Peter says to Aslan, it was all Edmund's doing after the battle. 
we'd have been beaten if it hadn't been for him. The witch was turning our troops into stone, left and right, but nothing would stop him. He fought his way through three ogres to where she was. And when he reached her, he had sense to bring his sword smashing down on her wand. And once her wand was broken, we began to have some chance. And he was terribly wounded in the battle and we must go and see him. And Edmund, the traitor, become the war hero, is healed on the battlefield and knighted by Aslan. And it is a picture of the gospel. Traitors become missionaries. Those who lived among the tombs being sent, not just as human beings into the world, but those who have a mission and a reason that will change this world as they live it. I don't want to live among the tombs. And Jesus doesn't want me to live there either. So he shows us in this story the truth of a wrongly occupied life. It's there. We know it's there. It can happen. We've all been there. But then he shows us how he reclaims us. That he takes back that territory, you and me. And he does it through the waters of baptism. And therefore, it's permanent. It's a once-for-all victory that we reclaim again and again. And then he shows us this rightly occupied life, our inheritance, our future, his promise for us. This is why we come to church. Or maybe better to say, this is how we come to church. Crawling back from the tombs we may find ourselves in. We come in the front door and what do we find but the font with the baptismal water. That is the place and the water by which all the tempter's power, all the tempter's lies, all of the rights he had in our lives, they were drowned in that place. And so we come. We come and remember again who we are. We claim again the truth of our baptismal victory in Christ. And we are sent out afresh every week. Filled, literally filled with God. A rightly occupied life. That is the promise for you and for me. And that is the hope for the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to stand as we confess what we believe. Let us confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, 
For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please kneel. In peace, we pray to you, Lord God. for all people in their daily life and work, for our families, friends, and neighbors, and for those who are alone. For this community, the nation, and the world, for all who work for justice, freedom, and peace, for the just and proper use of your creation, for the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression for all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble, for those who minister to the sick, the friendless, and the needy, for the peace and unity of the Church of God, for all who proclaim the gospel and all who seek the truth, for Foley, our Archbishop, Todd, our Bishop, Paul, our Dean and Rector, and all our clergy and lay leaders, for all who serve God in his church. Hear us, Lord, for your mercy is great. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I invite you to rise.
peace of the Lord be always with you. Share that peace with one another, with your immediate families directly, with everyone else indirectly. To be seated for a few brief announcements. Good morning, I'm Father Brian. I'm one of the clergy here at Christ Church. Thanks so much for joining us for worship today. It's so great to see your smiling eyes behind a mask. I know it's kind of strange to be wearing a mask in worship, but we really appreciate your vigilance. It helps keep you and your neighbor safe as possible as we worship together during this challenging time. In the back of the bulletin, you'll see um, some announcements. Our summer book study is continuing via podcast. You can subscribe on our website or wherever you get podcasts and listen along, and hopefully you have some people to discuss it with. There are many different groups discussing uh, the podcast. If you're interested in joining a group via Zoom, let me know. We have some. Uh, also, if you've not subscribed to uh, Father Paul's Praying with the Saints podcast, I highly encourage you to do so. Three times a week, he shares a story in the context of evening prayer about a saint from the history of the church. I find it personally very encouraging. Uh, again, subscribe to both those podcasts on our website or wherever you find podcasts. Every week, we celebrate birthdays and wedding anniversaries. If you're celebrating one of those days today, in the coming week, or if we missed you at some time in the past few months, we want to bless you. People celebrating birthdays can stand in their seats uh, today, this week, or if we missed you, I'll pray God's blessing on you. Please pray with me, the collect on page 7 in the bulletin. Watch over your children, O Lord, as their days increase. Bless and guide them wherever they may be. Strengthen them where they stand. Comfort them when discouraged or sorrowful. Raise them up if they fall. And in their hearts, may your peace, which passes understanding, abide all the days of their lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Happy birthday. Any couples celebrating a wedding anniversary today, in the coming week, or if we missed you, please stand where you are. I'll pray God's blessing on you. You guys can hold hands if you want. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, bless, preserve, and keep you. The Lord mercifully pour upon you all spiritual benediction and grace that you may faithfully live together in this life and the age to come have life everlasting. Amen. You may pull down your mask and kiss your bride. Congratulations. If you've been joining us the past few weeks, or if you're joining us for the first time in a while, we're doing communion a little bit different during these uh, difficult times. Uh, you'll notice that during the communion prayer, uh, many of the clergy and the lay servers will disappear behind uh, the altar there. There we're going to mask up, we're going to wash our hands, we're going to put gloves on so we can serve communion safely. We'll be receiving from standing stations. There's four stations up here at the front. The ushers will dismiss you. As you come forward, you're welcome to place your offering in any of these baskets up near the front. Please receive the bread from the clergy person with your hands out like this so we can drop the bread in your hands safely. If you'd like to receive wine, we'll be giving it to you in individual plastic cups. Uh, they'll be handing it to you from the top. Please receive from the bottom. Consume right there and then place it in the empty tray. If you're not comfortable receiving the wine, come forward and just receive bread. If you're not comfortable receiving either, that's fine. Please come forward. We want to pray God's blessing on you. Let us now stand together and prepare our hearts 
to receive our Lord and to meet him in this sacrament. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right, our duty and our joy, always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who on the first day of the week overcame death in the grave and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. 
Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. you to kneel as we continue in prayer. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love you made us for yourself, and when we have sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. In obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all, that by his suffering and death we might be saved. By his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. As our great high priest, he ascended to your right hand in glory, that we might come with confidence before the throne of grace. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your word, and Holy Spirit, to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctify us also that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament and be made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him. In the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ and bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom where we shall see our Lord face to face. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him. In the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, as the Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed once for all upon the cross. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Come, beloved, all is ready.
We pray together our post-communion prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Let us go out singing together. There's a wideness in God's mercy. Let us go forth into the world, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.